about it, I should be the change. Ain't no doubt about it, you should be the change. Ain't no way around it if you're tired of the same. You wanna make a difference, you should be the change. Oh, oh, oh. yeah, yeah, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, oh, oh. Right, welcome everybody to this great series of luminaries we've been doing for the past few months. I'm Fran Harris graduate of Texas at 1987, 1991, and also 2018. And I'm always very excited and honored to bring to you some of the best voices, the most intellectual and gratifying experience that I've had in a while with us. And so tonight will be no different than that. We've got some great guests with us tonight. Dr. Janae Simmons-Holmes is in the house, Dr. Brittany Hall-Clark, Dr. Anjanette Wyatt, is here and we're gonna be talking about Black Health Matters. So one of the things I love to do when we get started with the round table is having our guests actually tell you a little bit about who they are and what brought them to this particular conversation. And we're gonna start with Dr. Brittany Hall-Clark. Good evening, everybody. I attended UT for my doctorate in clinical psychology. I graduated in 2011. I currently am in private practice and my past I've been um, connected with different military um, and VA related positions um, such as Strong Star working at Fort Hood. Uh, right now I'm focusing on my private practice which is in Pflugerville, Texas. It's called Insight Psychology and Behavioral Health Services with a group and I, I specialize in trauma and anxiety. So I'm happy to be here and um, field any questions related to mental health. All right, Dr. Anjanette Wyatt. You are muted still, at least on my end, Dr. Wyatt. There we go. I apologize. Uh, I'm Dr. Anjanette Wyatt and I graduated from the University of Texas. College of Natural Science in 1987 and went on to get my pharmacy degree, which um, I'm a registered pharmacist and then uh, went back to get my doctorate degree as a, as a doctor of pharmacy. Um, I, my background includes um, being um, on board with Eli Lilly and Company, which is where I went when I first graduated out. Um, that's a pharmaceutical manufacturer. I've also um, spent time in the Texas Medical Center at St. Luke hospital in the Texas Medical Center. I also was a professor at the College of Pharmacy at uh, Texas Southern University. And um, currently I own my own company, uh, which is Clinical Care Pharmacy, where I serve as the CEO and the pharmacist in charge. Uh, I've been involved with a lot of the talks on recent talks with COVID-19 and um, the infrastructure of rolling out the vaccine. Um, been a panelist with the uh, Network for Excellence in Health Innovations. And we talked about that infrastructure also with um, the American Pharmacist Association to which I am a director for the foundation. Uh, we've had several speakings on, uh, black, on uh, infrastructure and underserved community for the vaccine of COVID-19. So I've done a lot of work uh, in, in that area and also spoke for Delta Sigma Theta Houston alumni chapter recently on the matter as well. So I'm looking forward to this conversation in speaking about the uh, health disparities that are uh, very, very prevalent in our, our African-American communities and how we can be cognizant of what's going on for the future, especially in the midst of the COVID-19 vaccine, I mean, COVID-19 pandemic. 
All right, and then our final panelist, Dr. Janae Simmons-Holmes. All right, well, thank you so much for having me this evening. And um, I graduated from UT in uh, 1988. I was there from 85 to 88. I received a degree in biology and I went on to medical school. I graduated there in um, uh, 1992 at A&M, went on to get my MBA from University of Texas at Dallas um, just in 2013. So I've practiced OB-GYN for 24 years and uh, my career has uh, been very diverse. Uh, I started off in private practice, then went to academic medicine. I really enjoyed that. And then I uh, was in um, practice hospital medicine as an obstetrician gynecologist. And in the last six years, I have uh, worked on the corporate side of medicine. I work for a large national insurance carrier and so I use my skill set now to just um, help patients that way and serve patients. Um, I, I love public speaking and I really enjoy educating and engaging the community about African-American um, health and um, how we can um, better improve our health and preventative medicine. So this is right on my alley. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. All right. Before we get started, I have to read something and my computer is doing what computers do sometimes. So let me find what I need to read before we jump into we jump into the actual conversation tonight. I want to give a special thanks, special shout out to our sponsor, Texas X's Black Alumni Network for this incredible opportunity to highlight the voices of Black alumni. Also, thank you to our parent organization, Texas X's. You can follow us on Instagram, on Twitter at Black Texas X and search Texas X's Black Alumni Network on Facebook and YouTube. Now, let's jump into it. Well, first of all, I have to say, Janae, I needed you. you we were in college at the same time, and I barely <laughs> biology. Where were you, sister, when I... <laughs> I needed you. Where were you? I think Stevie Wonder has a song, Where Were You When I Needed You? But we yes. <laughs> got on through that. We got on through that. Ladies, let's talk about this hot topic because as we all know, there's been a lot of conversation about COVID-19 on in various different uh, aspects of that, of the condition of the pandemic for the past six or seven months. The main one has to do that I hear and that I see mostly on social feeds is this, this notion that we are somehow potentially going to be used as guinea pigs for this vaccine. So we'll open the floor up to everybody to have their thoughts on just the perception that this is something we should avoid like the plague. And what are your thoughts on that? I'll start with you, Dr. Anjanette. What's your, your thought on this widespread belief that we should not have any parts of this new vaccine? Um, okay, it, it is a myth. It's not, it's not real. I mean, in terms of uh, the, us not having, um, a part of being vaccinated. In fact, um, we are the population that needs to be vaccinated um, and have actual um, vaccines earmarked for our community. We are dying at a two to one rate uh, from the COVID-19 vaccine than our counterparts. So our debts are way up there in terms of um, you know, succumbing to um, the COVID-19 vaccine. So we definitely, need to consider, you know, our, uh, educating our community about the virus mm -hmm. and also about the vaccine. Now, am I um, apprehensive about the warp speed in terms of the speed of how the vaccine is coming out 
to the market because I, you know, I work for Eli Lilly and company in research and I know that it takes X amount of time to actually do the research and the, and the studies to see what the ramifications of the, or the adverse effects of the vaccine will be long-term. So with warp speed going on, we are bringing this to market really quickly. So that is a concern, but it's not just a concern for the African-American community. It's a concern overall for all of those who will be vaccinated with the COVID-19. But I think that we need to get ahead of the game in terms of making sure that our community is educated and that they are understanding that without protection from this virus, that we are succumbing rapidly. So I am for definitely number one education and also getting our community to not be as fearful as they uh, are currently of taking the vaccine. All right, Dr. Holmes. So I agree with um, Dr. Wyatt. Um, what we're trying to achieve is, um, I'm sure you've heard about it on the news is herd immunity. We're trying to get enough immunity in the community so that the disease stops spreading. How do we do that? By either passive or active immunity. Usually if you have, if you get COVID or get an infection, you develop antibodies um, in your body to protect you against reinfection. Mm -hmm. Passive immunity are with vaccines. I don't think any of us, like Engine has said, are excited about warp speed. However, we know the trials have been done and we had this humongous enrollment of per persons into the Pfizer trial. They had over 60,000 participants. So typically the average span for vaccine takes 10 to 15 years sometimes. Yes, this is warp speed, but because so many people have been affected, we've had a very large trial done. The large trial to me as a physician is sufficient. 60,000 people is sufficient. If you look back a few years ago when a Ebola vaccine came out, that vaccine, we only had about, well, 15, 16,000 in that trial. And that vaccine was, it was just as effective. So yes, everyone should take the vaccine. Yes, we're gonna have those rel religious skeptics or people that are just fearful, but we have to achieve immunity. Once immunity is achieved, largely in the community, the disease will stop spreading. And so, yes, everyone should take the vaccine, um, as many people as possible. So education, education is the key. Dr. Clark? So I think my fellow panelists did a great job responding from a medical point of view. Since I have a PhD, I will not talk about the medical point, but I agree. I think from the psychological point of view, I think the myth makes sense from a um, historical perspective. When we think about atrocities that have happened, such as Tuskegee, there can be some historical mistrust when it comes to the African-American community in research. So I understand where it comes from. And at the same time, I don't think we wanna let fear from stopping us to from protecting ourselves and making good decisions to help our community. So I think as a result of this Tuskegee and things like that, institutions um, have review boards to protect the ethics of rights for people. And so I think reminding people to get informed consent, to understand what's happening to their bodies and to understand the risks and benefits to be able to make an empowered decision will be important. Janae brought up a really great point and I think it's underlying in, in what each of you has said here tonight already and that's the educational component. And so the challenge becomes, given just how 
anybody can be a newsmaker these days because of, of the internet. Where do we find credible information in our community? How do we know? How do I tell my 20 year old nephew at Oklahoma State, this is a credible source to find this out. You know, my 88 year old dad, who's like, I don't know what to believe. How do we help our community find the places to go to and the voices to listen to that we know is telling us the kind of information that we actually need and that it's actually factual? So I'll just say that, you know, CDC has been around for years. They are a governing body and that has been a very trusted source Mm-hmm. of information. Um, Dr. Fauci, who's at NIH, a very trusted source. He has spoken on other pandemics that have occurred uh, in the United States and globally. He's a trusted source. So um, I think Dr. I think Kamala said it on one of her her uh, her um, um, Debate. debates that if you know Dr. Fauci says to take it then we should take it so Dr. Fauci recently just today again is on the media saying he's impressed by the level of studies that have been done and the amount of people that have been enrolled in the studies and that the efficacy is almost 90 I think it's 95 97 percent that is excellent in warp speed so we should take it Okay. Anjanette, this question is for you and anybody who wants to jump in on this. The, while I respect Dr. Fauci and, and listen and actually believe he's a credible source, I'm also always wondering where are the Black sources? Where are the Black thought leaders on these matters? Uh, back in the day, obviously, if we wanted to know something within our community, usually it was somebody Black telling us what the, what the next step should be. Where are the medical voices at higher levels and who are some of these people that maybe you guys, maybe you know them, maybe you know who these authority um, figures are and these thought leaders are, but where are they? Where, why don't we know much about them in our community and why aren't we revering them as much as we are this Dr. Fauci? Anybody? Anjanette, you're on mic. Fred, that's a great question. Um, I've been really asking that myself and I've been, you know, prodding for um, in different areas like the uh, American Medical, you know, Association, the American Pharmacist Association, looking for our minority leaders to band together on this. Um, I've had several Zoom calls um, over the past weeks and trying to gather African-American um, medical leaders together because they are looking to us to, to help in rolling this out to the African-American community. So it is imperative that we, we band together all the different medical fields um, and the leaders in the medical fields for African-American band together and work with our uh, Black Ministers Association to get this word out and to get the, these vaccines out to um, the African-American community. I am looking myself, I have been um, in contact with a few, but they're in different arenas, the medical field, the um, social work field, the, pharmacy, the field of pharmacy, and we're trying to band together as we speak. So there's not, that's not one entity right now to, to go to, but we are definitely uh, trying to be a partner with the federal government in getting this rolled out. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that because as we know, because we've been us, we've been black all of our lives. We know when when there's education on financial, usually it's we're not 
educating us on that. When it's a business thought leader, usually it's not us. When it's health, it's always somebody else, you know? And so this is one of those topics that I think we have a huge opportunity to be at the forefront of, you know, what matters to us more than anything and understanding that there are people who look like us, who have the credentials, who have the experience, who have the wherewithal to be on Bloomberg and CNN talking about these issues that are impacting our community. So I'm very glad to hear that. We do have some, yeah, we do have some folks who are, who sent in some questions and I want to make sure we, we tap into those. Um, one person, we kind of addressed the, why should blacks participate in clinical trials? We kind of talked about that, but what about the affordable care act? That's, that's come up in a lot of conversation. Anybody want to talk about the significance of the affordable care act as we move forward into 2021? Sure. I'll, I'll, um, I'll start. Um, so the America, I mean, the Affordable Care Act was, let's see, passed in 2010. And thank God we still have it. In a year where we have unemployment now, very high, millions of Americans um, without their jobs, the majority of Americans get their health insurance through their jobs. Mm -hmm. So now people have lost their health insurance. So thank God we still have the American or Obamacare, Affordable Care Act. Um, because that is what um, will fill the gap for many Americans going into 2021. So those persons that have lost their jobs now can get online and get a, a, a health plan through the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare um, is another name that it's called. And that is pretty much searching online and comparing prices between all the big carriers and finding yourself a plan. And as we know, the Affordable Care Act was rolled out. It has, it, it, it did a few things. It said that we're not gonna deny people for preexisting conditions. So we know that as a people, African-Americans tend to have those preexisting conditions, the diabetes, the high, uh, high blood pressure, chronic kidney disease, obesity. So they're not gonna deny you for pre-existing condi conditions. You may pay some higher premiums, but they're not gonna deny you. Also the Affordable Care Act also um, pretty much in improved and increased transparency to the consumer. So before hospitals um, didn't have to do what we call public reporting. So when they had infections or high infection rates, they didn't have to report that. But the Affordable Care Act said, look, we have to have transparency. We have to improve and, and give all Americans the best healthcare out there. So everyone has to report. So the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid, CMS, now says everyone, all organizations, hospitals have to report their metrics. And so if you go to any of the big hospital systems, it's not really blatant, but you can find it on their health, on, on their webpages because they have to have public reporting and you can just see um, their metrics. So the Affordable Care Act has done wonders for um, African-Americans, but really all Americans. And, and in 2021, to answer your question, it will continue to fill the gap um, for those Americans who are without a job because they can get the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, I think so few people really even know that that exists. What we hear, we hear the, dis the disparaging remarks that are made about Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act, but most, a lot of people in our community don't even know what it is. 
don't even know how it can benefit them. How can we get, and I'll, I'll take this to either Dr. Clark or, or Dr. Wyatt, how do we take that to our community just to help us understand what is available to us in this area? For healthcare, um, I, I think that, and I know for us, we have a lot of people that are out there to help educate our community with open enrollment. I think a lot of, like for example, my mother is elderly, and some of the some of the benefits that are that she will need mm -hmm. that's tailored to her may be with one plan and not another one. So we need to have the seniors in the African American community go in and find out more about what different plans have to offer, and making sure that during this open enrollment period that they are switching plans. But what what people don't really know is that you can do this year round. Mm -hmm. It's not just during this particular time. This can be done year round. And that's the big myth that people think. I only have, what, December, November, you know, this open enrollment prop period to, to you know, implement. You, you can do this year round. Mm -hmm. So um, we just have to educate. I believe that where our gap is with the um, affordable health care is educating our, our communities about what is available to them with the Affordable Health Care Act. Right. Just, just what I uh, I see it all the time where, right, you know, in the past, uh, elderly patient would be so devastating when they get in the donut hole. I don't know if you've, you've got heard of the donut hole in the past with the other insurance, but they wouldn't be able to afford their medications at all during this period of time. So, you know, it's about educating them to the right plan for them that will cover their disease state and making sure that they are, are getting the access to those medications and healthcare um, entities that they need. So I think it's education more, more so than anything. Dr. Clark, since you mentioned about your, you're not a medical doctor, I've been really intrigued by the psychology of the notion that black healthcare, you know, black health matters. And I've even had conversations with folks who have said, black folks just don't care about their health. Mm. Like they just don't care about it. And that's why we don't go to the dentist. These are, these are conversations. These are not my words. That's why we don't go to the dentist. That's why we don't, we are predisposed to these diseases, whether, cause we don't care whether we live or die. Now that's strong. That's very strong. But I have had conversations with people where you're, you're trying to entice them to be better, eat better, do better. And it's just like, you know, whatever. Um, let me go get these rims and I'm being flippant, but I'm serious. Let, let me go focus on something that is not health related. Why do you think that in 2020, now almost 2021, we are still having the conversation about why we matter, why we deserve to be healthy, why we deserve to demand more from the healthcare profession when it comes to our health? Mm -hmm. Really good points. I mean, I think many times there are a lot of stereotypes and I think you're speaking to that. And one of those stereotypes is that we're very strong. And what I hear a lot being in the mental health field is that we don't need therapy. And depending on people's values, sometimes they say, just pray about it. Yeah. Just, just go to God. Or sometimes there's concerns about reaching out outside of the family and talking to strangers mm -hmm. when it comes to really personal issues. And a lot of times, there might not be therapists that look like us. So I think there are a lot of different factors that contribute to a societal stigma, mm -hmm. some specific factors of stigma in our African-American community. And sometimes because of that 
strong black woman or strong black man stereotype, I think we can sometimes minimize what we're really going through, that we don't want to be seen as weak or crazy, but it actually takes a lot of strength and courage to seek help, to, like you're saying, reach out and ask for help or be advocates for ourselves or people in our community and to, to take better care of ourselves. Yeah. And the mistrust sometimes that we have of the, the medical field. You know, I recently went to my gynecologist, my my health, you know, general healthcare practitioner, and I couldn't help but sit there and wonder, are you really checking me out? Like, are you really doing everything you I really did? Like we were doing my breast thing. We were doing some other thing. I was like, I don't know if you're going if you're going hard for me right now, <laughs> if you are actually doing what you would be doing if I were a white woman. That thought, I can't think of a time that that's really been in my head but everything that's been happening in the world has me questioning whether all my people should be black. You know, like I will look for certain black people, but I've been going to certain people since I was a basketball player at UT. And so, but now I'm questioning whether a black person is gonna take care of me better um, than, than, than a non-black person. And so I think that's what a lot of our community is going through is this distrust of the establishment or the institution or whatever that might be. And so rather than going to get help, we just stay sick or we just don't take the advice or we just don't seek it. Someone has a really great question here for, for you guys. They want to bring the COVID thing back up. Since there are so many, the perception is there are so many different COVID vaccines out there. How do we know which one to take? Like, are they all created equal? What do you think, Janae? So um, I, I would say, they pretty much are very similar, uh, you know, so are they created equal? They're pretty similar because we have three uh, pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca. And it really is just a matter of which one is going to get it to the Americans first. We know that the UK just received Pfizer's vaccine on Friday. And so they're getting ready to um, start vaccinating in the UK. I think we will, um, because we are, um, I believe just got, and Antoinette, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, just got FDA approval or waiting for FDA approval for the vaccine. So we, Pfizer's vaccine will get to us probably first because that will be approved by the FDA first. Um, but in terms of efficacy, to answer your question, I think they're all just as efficacious. Um, um, Pfizer and um, Moderna are, pretty much up there, about 94, 96% efficacious. AstraZeneca is a little less. Um, I I've heard a few things about AstraZeneca I don't want, really want to repeat in terms of, I don't know if it's going to go through FDA approval as soon as these companies understand they had some said. So uh, I, I'm getting out of my swim lane, so I'll let Anjanette take over, but I think that they're all efficacious and it's just a matter of which one comes to Americans first and is available. Okay. The Pfizer vaccine is going to come to market first. It is scheduled to go in with the FDA or before the FDA for approval this Thursday. So this Thursday, we will know for sure whether it's approved for moving forward or not. I was on a Zoom call earlier today. We are preparing for that approval for Thursday so that the rollout can start the following week or in the following weeks for starting to vaccinate. Uh, we will um, 
vaccinate the health, the, the first line workers first. But yes, um, um, you know, it is going to come out on Thursday, the yay or the nay, which I think it's going to be a yay to move forward with the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, the Moderna, the Moderna vaccine uh, is pushed back a little bit until the beginning of the year. So we're looking at a January, uh, February for that particular vaccine, but it will be right after, you know, a couple months uh, following um, Pfizer's vaccine. The AstraZeneca vaccine did hit some pitfalls in terms of the uh, adverse reactions that occurred in patients that they were, you know, um, giving and they were severe. And so that's gonna be halted for a while. It's not gonna come out for a while because of the severity of the uh, adverse uh, reactions that occurred during uh, phase three trials. Is that information public? Because I want to know what the adverse things were. <laughs> like, it's public. It's public. Okay, good. Because I was like, it, it, it is public. Uh, you phase three trials uh, okay. for the AstraZeneca vaccine. All right. Have the, you got you got some more scoop. You froze. Okay, you froze. So I wanted, we're talking about a vaccine, which is something you typically get when something has happened. This is another great question from our audience for each of you. So one of you, everybody answered this question. What are some preventative measures, some preventative tests or screenings that you believe our community can participate in, take advantage of that, you know, you're not sick yet. What should we be doing annually to as a preventative measure for our health. Let's start with you, Brittany. Brittany. <laughs> well, again, I'll focus on the psychological perspective and leave the medical for my other panelists. But I think um, just keeping stock of where we are, I think stress is a part of life and we all have good days and, and bad days, but noticing patterns. So if we notice that we're feeling more tired than usual, or we're, we're sad and it's starting to detract from our enjoyment. We might even get to the point where we wonder if life is worth living. And similar thoughts when it comes to anxiety. We all have things that stress us and worry us, especially now given this pandemic that we're going through. But if we find that it starts to disrupt our sleep or our, our concentration and it starts to really inter interfere in our lives, those are all signs that it can be time to turn to some professional help. So. I think self-care can go a long way. So taking time to take breaks and go on walks, bubble baths, whatever it is that recharges you. But once you get to the point where you do those things and you're struggling, reaching out for help. I think that's really important when it comes to our mental health. Yeah, I think it's important that you're on this panel because typically when we think of black health, we do think of physical health. And we sometimes are not as, as uh, proactive with our minds and our hearts and our spirits and our souls as we need to be. And some of those things can lead to issues with us physically. So I so appreciate that you're here and reminding us all that, that there's other parts of us to take care of. What about you, Anjanette? What do you think some preventative things that we can do? One thing that we should be doing, paying attention to every year or even more frequently I have a list if I can screen share for a minute. Um, uh, I'm going to go through my little my little regimen as far as what we can do to ourselves. If you guys don't mind, I would uh, like to do that with the with everyone. Let me. Um, oh, it's okay. It has to be enabled. Yeah, that's a that's our moderator's okay. role. If she can give oh, you. Okay, we have to enable it, but I wanted to share share that with. Uh, 
the root. Let me let me see if I can go for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, basically, my thing is that we have to know first of all more about the virus. Um, I have been studying this virus, and I want to just educate a little bit about the virus and what then what we can do to to be proactive and making sure that we are not, you know, that we do, we're doing all we can to not contract this virus. So number one um, about the virus is number one, most of the coronaviruses that have occurred in the past, um, including the MERS and the SARS, um, they were from, take, took a zootic jump from animal to human. Okay, so uh, basically this is a human to human transmission and it's not, a zoonotic jump from like a, a bat or uh, a monkey or a camel um, to human. So the incubation time is two to 10 days. And if we're gonna you know, stop the spread, we have to know more about the virus, the droplets, the contamination. Um, it can, the, the uh, coronavirus, it can last on um, surfaces for up to nine days on average. And th this virus is resilient, it can, it can survive. So um, that's why they're very adamant about you, uh, the different disinfectants. So making sure that we are washing our hands thoroughly, making sure that we're wearing the mask to cover our face and nose, which are the portals, entry portals for the um, virus. Um, also wearing gloves, I always, um, encourage people to wear gloves, especially if you're going in public places that are like the bank and the grocery store, places where a lot of people are touching surfaces. Um, also, about the virus and what it does once it enters your body, it causes coagulation. So we have to know about the injury that happens in the inflammatory process. So we're having a lot of inflammation occurring in the body um, when this virus enters the body. So um, it causes the clotting factors to be um, elicited, and it also causes vasoconstriction, which is you know tightening of the blood vessels and narr narrowing of the blood vessels, and it impedes on the blood flow. So um, we just need to know what we can do to kind of keep our bodies not a, as a good medium for this to to um, thrive in. So basically I came up with this um, toolkit, like an over-the-counter toolkit for some to use. And these are the same things I do. So um, I would recommend zinc, which boosts the immune system and it can cause change in the cell membrane. And it um, makes sure that it makes, that it changes the permeability of the, uh, the cell membrane. And then there's vitamin D and also it boosts the immune system and there's vitamin D. And the vitamin D can increase the affinity of the H2 receptor. That's the receptor that the virus uses to, to um, tag to the host. The little spike, you see the picture of it, and the little spike proteins on the virus, uh, they use the H2 receptor. So vitamin D decreases the affinity for that. So it, it, it stops that virus from binding to that uh, H2 receptor. Uh, I mean, and the proteins on the virus. Vitamin C and echinacea, I, I know I'm going really fast, but I'm just trying to put as much out there as I can. Um, vitamin C and echinacea boost the immune system. So we've got to keep our immune system strong to fight this off. Um, also, um, the clotting 
um, factors that uh, if you check with your doctor, an 81 milligram aspirin a day will help um, keep your blood flow going well. And so before taking it, you know, check with your doctor, but 81 milligram aspirins are good. Um, alkaline water, this virus thrives in an acidic medium. It, love, it, it, it goes faster and, and, and it causes havoc in an acidic medium. So we have to keep our bodies basic. One of the reasons why the, uh, in Italy, they couldn't figure out why their patients were, you know, um, getting worse and worse and dying. They were giving them ibuprofen. Ibuprofen is, uh, is a propionic acid derivative and it's causing the body to be more acidic and it was causing the virus to be more virulent. So um, definitely keeping the body uh, pH more basic is uh, a great thing to do. And also using other products also like elderberry again, to boost the immune system. So you got all of those things that you could take on a daily basis to kind of help your body uh, wore off this um, disease. Uh, there's a product out there called Gingardum and it's a natural product and contains ginger, garlic, and turmeric. You can also get ginger, garlic, and turmeric on your own and making sure that um, you keep that in the body because it activates the body natural repair system and it has anti-inflammatory um, properties. So it, there's a lot about this virus. We, we, we need to get out there to the public um, and making sure that um, we're doing all we can to boost our immune systems. We're doing all we can to, to keep our you know, hands clean and wearing the mask and everything because you don't want to get this thing. You know, we never know which, by the way, there are four strands of it out there. So you never know which strand you'll get and whether it's going to cause havoc. In addition, um, diabetes in the black community, especially in the state of Texas, is really, really high, okay? And we are one of the hot, the states that have the highest number of diabetic uh, patients, especially in the African-American community. So that is one of the uh, states where you are um, immunocompromised. So we definitely want to encourage our loved ones to, to um, be cognizant of taking these vitamins and making sure that they're keeping their bodies uh, safe. So that's what I recommend. Make you a COVID-19 toolkit. Put all of these things in there and try to make sure you take them every day. Uh, also, I wanted to say that January and February are going to be one of the roughest months for um, you know, the spread of this virus. I know we're trying to get the vaccines out, but I'm really encouraging people to follow the guidelines of your um, state and local, your you know, um, governments, stay inside and try to keep yourself safe during January and February because I really see this vaccine, I mean, I really see this um, pandemic getting really worse in January and February. So um, please, please everyone stay safe. Right. Uh, also, I wanted to uh, allude to the fact, one more thing, the uh, Moderna vaccine is called mRNA. 1273. The Pfizer vaccine is called BNT162. And the AstraZeneca vaccine is called AZT1222. Okay. All right, Janae, let's talk a little bit about there are people who are asking questions about things that are non-COVID related. What okay. other, I mean, you know, like I know it's the thing that we that that's most on all of our minds as it should be, but there's other things, there are other sure. things that are impacting our community. So sure. what would you say are some of the other things that we should be paying attention to that 
maybe you're seeing in the field that we're not talking about or doing a whole lot about at this point? So, you know, African-Americans, the top, let me just say the, the top three to four reasons or causes of death in the African-American community, heart disease, mm-hmm. stroke, cancer, diabetes. Yeah. Okay. So I recommend, and it is recommended diet exercise, controlling your weight. That is the universal theme. diet, exercise, controlling your weight. We know that um, our markers that when we go to the doctor, typically your doctor will say, come in fasting and I'm going to draw some blood. Okay. What, what blood are they getting? They're looking at your total cholesterol. They're checking your weight. They're checking your BMI body mass index. That tells us how much fat you have in your body. You want that to be in a certain range. Um, because we know that when our waist circumference is a little higher, so for women, if it's over 35 uh, inches, men, if it's over 40 inches, you have a higher chance of other diseases. Diabetes is one of those type two diabetes. So, um, total cholesterol, checking blood pressure, checking your fasting, um, blood sugar to make sure your fasting blood sugar is not too high. Uh, Also, that's a screen for diabetes. Um, But it all goes back to diet, exercise, and healthy eating and keeping it moving. So what the pandemic has done for a lot of people is that it's gotten them outside. It's been great. You see people at parks, people moving around, walking. It has gotten people outside doing things that they would not ordinarily do. So keeping all that in mind, keep uh, doing the things that I mentioned. And when you go to, to the doctor, those are typically the things that they're screening for because you're trying to avoid getting heart disease, stroke, cancer, diabetes. Diet, exercise, healthy eating and living is going to help mitigate some of those yeah. diseases. Brittany, top three mental health concerns in our community. Certainly, I think COVID-19 has been a major one as has been highlighted tonight. I think another major theme that I've been seeing, um, it's not new, but I think it's been especially brought to the forefront is social injustice and the murder of George Floyd and all of the injustices that that reminds us of. And so I think that's been a big part of mental health in our society, particularly for African-Americans and the resultant protests and how people are responding to that in the midst of COVID. Mm-hmm. And then you said three. So let's see, <laughs> yeah. social justice. And um, I think just discrimination and racism in general, they just are um, ever, it's a, some people call it another pandemic. So in some ways we have like a dual pandemic with COVID and racism. And that can show up from a mental health perspective as we're talking about the low moods, stress, anxiety, and sometimes even symptoms of trauma. Absolutely, absolutely. Great question from, great great stuff you guys. Great question from someone who wants to know what black patients can do to ensure that their providers are providing them with quality healthcare. What questions can they ask? What measures can they, you know, what actions can they take to make sure that, that they're getting access to top flight healthcare? Anybody? 
So I just say all the time, you have to be your strongest advocate. You have to be your strongest advocate. I tell my family, my friends, when you go to the doctor, I'm just going to use this as an example, and you're not feeling better in two days, you need to go back to the doctor. I don't want to hear, oh, well, I just wasn't getting better. The doctor told me to wait seven days. No, you need to go back to the doctor. You have to be your strongest advocate because sometimes I feel like bias still exists. Racism still exists. And even myself, when I go into the ER, I just tell them up front, I'm a, I'm a doctor. And that doesn't even always get me the best care. Yeah. So, so you have to be the, your strongest advocate for your own health. And um, I just tell people that just constantly. It's just very important. I'd like to chime in, um, Fran, on that. Uh, this is Dr. Angelette White. And I would like to say, first of all, educate yourself on everything and know your numbers know your lab values, know what they are. I mean, don't go in blindsided to the doctor. Um, when you go into your physician and they take your blood, have get yourself a little binder or whatever you wanna do, but know your numbers, know how they change from one draw, blood draw to the next blood draw. For example, um, I'm pre-diabetic, everyone in my family is diabetic. So I have to always watch my numbers and I tell everyone, Hemoglobin A1C, know what your hemoglobin A1C is because typically they won't give you the test. You have to ask for it. Sometimes you have to go in and ask for what you need. So if you have diabetes in your family, then go in, hey, you know, doctor, I'd like to know what my hemoglobin A1C is. And once they do the blood draw, or the fasting glucose or the glucose, ask for the results. What are the results? Let me get a copy of my labs and take a look at it. Um, we know that, you know, to keep yourself out of the diabetic range, your hemoglobin A1C has to be under 5.6. We know that if you're pre-diabetic, you know, if you're between 5.6 and 6.4, you can say, oh, wow, I'm pre-diabetic. And if we know if it's over 6.4, then you're diabetic. If you know that and you go in, you can help the doctor and you can do disease state management, which is helping the physicians help you. Um, I'm a proponent for that. So I educate all the patients I see. If they're diabetic patients, I educate them on hemoglobin A1C, what to ask your doctor, you know, um, things of that nature. For kidney function, you know, what's my creatinine level? Go in asking these questions. I need to know how my kidneys are functioning to make sure that I'm not getting into that window that I need to get dialysis. So by the time a lot of our African-American um, people realize it, it's time, it, they're in dialysis, you know, they're, it's time to go to dialysis. But if they were to look at these numbers um, ahead of time, or at least help the doctor in being an advocate, like Dr. Holmes said, be an advocate for yourself, then they can mm -hmm. say, hey, wait a minute, you know, my creatinine is a, is a 1.5, which is going to be over one. And I'm a little bit concerned, doctor, how can I turn this thing around? You know, what can I do? Stop drinking sodas, drink more mm -hmm. water, do, you know, things. And then when they draw the blood again, ask for the numbers and get a copy. Mm -hmm. Now, you, if you go from 1.5 to one, you go in the right direction. That's if you good. go from 1.5 to two, you're getting closer to dialysis. Yeah, I will say. So I'll you want to that. help do that. And also, I'm an advocate for having a health advocate. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times I go in advocate for a lot of different people. They call me, my patients say, can you call, can you talk to the doctor for me? 
And I do that all the time because mm-hmm. a lot of times physicians aren't realizing I do it myself. And we use medical lingo, not realizing that the patient or the person doesn't understand a word we're saying. You know, we're mm-hmm. talking all this different lingo that, you know, that you may as a non-healthcare professional not understand. And most people don't ask, what did you mean by that? What did you mean by this? They just listen to the doctor and not ask questions, which is why you should formulate your questions prior to going in to the doctor. So you sit down and formulate your questions first, and then you go to your doctor's visit, not going to the doctor and waiting for the doctor to tell you something. By the time you think of a question, you're on the way home and -hmm. you won't be able to get that doctor back, you know, on the phone to ask these questions. So always, you know, make out your questions ahead of time. And so have your paper there to ask the doctor questions and don't let the doctor run out on you. You know, make sure that you demand time from your physician. When you go in, you, you let that doctor know, you know, I have several questions. I've written them down. And if you don't mind, I'd like to discuss them so that they're not just coming in and, you know, quickly giving you about two to three minutes and going out. The only, I don't, yeah. the only thing I wanted to add um, to what Dr. Wyatt said is also get a second opinion. Many times when you go to the doctor and if something is at stake, let's say it's surgery, um, I'm going to use that as an example, get a second opinion. Um, it's just so important. As I said, bias and racism still exist. And, e- and, and we continue to see it every day in medicine. And so you want to make sure that you're getting the best care and that you, and they're telling you what you need, not what they want to do, but what it is you need. Yeah. I will say, I mean, I love all of that. I can remember about maybe 15 years ago after I'd gone and got some lab work done. And I don't know if any of you've had this experience, anybody watching us has had the experience where they say, we got your lab test back. There was something a little whatever, you know, with it. And the feeling that you have when you, because I'm used, I'm like, I'm an athlete. Everything's good with me. Everything's always going to be good for me. And then like 15 years ago, they were like, your tests were a little bit. And I remember that day, like just panicking because my numbers were a little off. And that day, I also, to to Anjanette's point, I started doing a medical journey, uh, journal, because I realized I had so many numbers in my head from all the visits, but I didn't know what those numbers meant. I don't know where they went. So I started literally looking at my numbers and how I felt I would go back and refer to other visits and those kinds of things. And you feel so empowered when you go into a doctor's office, knowing your history, knowing these numbers, having a conversation with your doctor, not sitting there like you're a little student and they're the big doctor, but having an eyeball to eyeball conversation about your health is so important. So I love what we just talked about because I think sometimes we are, we feel so intimidated by that visit and realizing that it is your health. And I just actually had this experience with one of my doctors where they were giving me layering on all these places they wanted me to go. And I I looked at her and I said, I'm not doing that. And the look on her face was just like, but people just sit here and take this. They, they let you, me send you to this place. You go to this person. I go, I will do that. And I will do that, but I'm not doing that. And she was like, oh, and then she just took it away. Like literally how many times have you talked to people who just walk out of a doctor's office where the doctor did all the talking and then sent you to see 12 different specialists that maybe you didn't need to see. Now, you know, literally, I know I went off, but because I think it's important for us to be confident when we go in to talk to the people who work for us, 
they it's like the president they work for us elected officials work for us doctors are there to provide you the best the absolute best health care and if you don't if you're not proactive in your own health then you know you'll find yourself in some really interesting situations so someone asked should we be concerned about accessibility to the vaccine in our community I'll take that. Yes, it should be um, because we need. Okay, we we know one thing. Production-wise, there's going to be a challenge. It's going to be very challenging production-wise to get vaccines available for all of America. You know, because basically every just about everyone's going to need to take the vaccine. So we definitely need to have conversations about. Um, the infrastructure of how we're going to uh, roll out this vaccine to the African-American community, which is one of the most, the hardest hit communities. So I think that, yes, we need to have conversations. Um, because of production, it's gonna take a while to produce vaccines to immunize everyone. Those who are immunocompromised and are frontline workers will get the vaccine first but also underserved communities such as the African-American community need the doses earmarked for um, distribution. Great. All right, we are, we are almost done. It's, this has been amazing. Y'all have to come back again. I mean, such a wealth of knowledge and great conversation and talking about the hard subjects. We got one time for each of you to have one last quick thing to say as we sign off tonight. And I will start with you, Dr. Clark. So I wanted to respond to the question about how um, black, black clients and patients can advocate for themselves from a mental health perspective. So I think a lot of it has to do with doing research ahead of time, thinking about what are you looking for and then looking for a provider that meets those needs. So for instance, if you are looking for something related to alcohol and drugs, seeing someone that specializes in anxiety is probably not gonna be a good fit. So one way you can do this is looking through your insurance and looking for providers that have your specialties. Some other popular websites are Psychology Today or Inclusive Therapy Network, which features um, providers of color and other minority statuses. And then once you are in the room or virtually, virtual teletherapy room with somebody, asking questions like, what is your theoretical orientation? So understanding how they proceed with therapy and asking questions to make sure that they're a good fit for you. And one of the therapies that has a lot of research behind it, a lot of evidence behind it is cognitive behavioral therapy. So for things like trauma and anxiety and depression, that's often a very effective form of treatment. If it's something more related to relationships, then there might be a different style that works best. But being able to ask these types of questions to providers when you meet with them can go a long way. Great, Dr. Wyatt. I would like to, to uh, encourage everyone to plan for the future in terms of the um, COVID-19 pandemic. I would like to encourage you to be proactive in if you are going to you know, take this vaccine in making sure you know where you're going to get this vaccine, how you're going to get this vaccine because we will have it in pharmacies like the chain stores, but there's also independent pharmacies that you could call and perhaps it would be wise to talk to your pharmacist about, hey, you know, can I make an appointment to have the vaccine? Because what I'm fearful of is that 
there's going to be a rush for everybody to get it at one time. You know, everybody's going to try to go and get it up and it won't be enough um, um, doses. So, it, you know, make that, be proactive. And if you're planning to get it, to go ahead and have a conversation with your physician or with your pharmacist about when can I get it? Can I make an appointment to get it? And can I do that now? Great, Dr. Holmes. So I had two things to say um, in general regarding the vaccine, as Dr. Wyatt has um, graciously uh, said, you know, the vaccine is going to be rolled out, but it, it's a stepwise fashion. And so the general public, those people with no underlying health conditions, they're not at risk, just a general public, that is going to be months down the road. We're talking maybe April, May, because we know that the vaccines are going to go to frontline workers, military, uh, the elderly, people in um, assisted living, nursing homes. So those people are gonna get the vaccine first, but general public is gonna be later. Um, probably not until after Easter. Now, and the last thing I wanted to end with is, you know, COVID is in our face because we're living it every day. But I just wanted to end with um, some places that you're likely to get COVID that you want to try to not go. Okay. Um, bars, number one on the list. Indoor dining. Indoor dining because when you take your mask off, the person from 10 feet away can give you COVID because of the ventilation in the restaurant. No indoor dining, no indoor gyms, work out outside. Churches, again, indoor, trying to avoid indoor places. So when people come into emergency rooms, 40% of people that are being admitted have been to a bar or restaurant, indoor dining. So these are things that you can do to just mitigate um, catching COVID. Wearing a, a mask is not a political statement. It's proven now, even though this is a novel coronavirus, it's proven that the mask protects you and protects others. So that's it. Ladies, fantastic. Thank you for joining us tonight. Your, your knowledge, your, your expertise, your experience, your access to information that our community needs has been off the charts. And I really do want to invite you back to continue this conversation. Uh, obviously, COVID is still a topic, but there are so many other topics that, that we need to address. And I think you all are suited, well suited to continue the conversation. So thank you all. Have a great evening. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Stay tuned. Make sure you follow us on all of our socials. And of course, get involved, get engaged. Let us know if you want to see some other topics out there. Post that on social and we'll be sure to do that. So good night, everybody, and hook them.